welcome to Aviation United with Aviation Zorro. I'm delighted to be chatting with the first African-American woman to be selected to serve aboard Air Force One, holds a Master of Science degree in Human Resource Management, a Bachelor's of Science degree in Business Management, and an Associate's degree in Aircrew Operations and has numerous military awards and decorations. She served a total of four presidents, President Bush 41, President Clinton, President Bush 43, and President Obama. Also chosen as superintendent of First Lady Operations to manage and supervise the President's First Lady flights, Mrs. Nancy Reagan, Mrs. Laura Bush, Mrs. Clinton, and Mrs. Obama. In 2000, recognized by step promotion to Senior Master Sergeant, during her flying career has more than 5,000 total flying hours documented on various aircraft types. A very good day to you, Senior Master Sergeant, Wanda M. Joel, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you again for having me. No, my pleasure. I'm so excited. So I have to kick this off now and ask you, where are you right now on planet Earth? <laughs> I, am a, I am in the city, I am in the state of Georgia, a city called Suwannee, Georgia. Oh, okay. Where's, where's Suwannee, Georgia? Suwannee is, I uh, would say, northeast of Atlanta. Oh, very nice. So I have to ask this as well. So what's the temperature like? Because in Ireland, we're fascinated with temperature because we, we rarely get nice kind of warm temperatures. When we do, it's like 25, 24 degrees. So what's the temperature now in Georgia? Well, right now we're having rain. We're getting a little bit of the winds from the hurricane, but we are having a lot of rain and it's about 64 degrees. Oh, wow. Okay. Very, 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 very pleasant. So as I mentioned before, Senior Master Sergeant uh, Wanda, that reading out everything you've done in your life, um, you've been so, so busy. So when anybody ever says to me that they're not free for a coffee or they're not free to meet up, I'm going to be very, very surprised considering the background that you've had throughout your life. So can you tell us a little bit about your background? Okay, well, I am originally from Bermuda, the island of Bermuda. Very That's nice. where my family and my extended family are still in Bermuda. And I relocated to the United States in 1969. I was a very little girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So we relocated and family and I, we went upstate New York. So that's where I did most of my schooling and uh, grew up upstate New York. It's Schenectady, Albany, the capital of New York. We all love New York. New York yeah. is the, 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 the uh, uh, Irish people have this fascination as well. I think most people around the world have fascination with New York. It's so exciting and so much fun. So was it like that living there? Was it quite exciting? I enjoyed the snow coming from Bermuda. <laughs> <laughs> and I was not in New York City, which I don't know, but the upstate New York is a lot more rural and a lot of snow. So it's cold over there, but we, that's where I spent most of my schooling years. It was beautiful, beautiful place to raise a family, nice up there, nice so, and cold. So when was it like, was, was any part of your family interested in aviation as you were growing up? Or was it just you had the fascination of aviation? You know, that's where it really started. When I, when we left, relocated to the U.S. on that flight from Bermuda to the U.S. 1969 as a little girl, but I had such a good memorable moment with the courtesy of the flight attendant on board. That's what triggered my interest in aviation. But no, to answer your question, no other family was involved in aviation to later years. But that stuck with me. That one flight coming across the water to the United States in 1969 triggered my interest. 
And can I ask you what, what, what was so special about the flight and what type of aircraft? Do you remember the aircraft you were flying on? You know, it's probably an aircraft that's no longer in service. I'm thinking maybe a Pan Am flight or something that we no longer have around Eastern Airlines, maybe. But I'm telling my age. I guess leaving Bermuda, my country, I was probably a, as a little girl, a little sad to leave cousins and, and what have you, aunties and uncles and all that, that saw us off at the airport. When I got on board, I think the flight attendant made such a great impression because she consoled me. She was so kind. She comforted me. And it just made the trip a lot better. So she made a great impression. So I know in my mind, I said, I, wanna, I want this job. When I get a big girl, I want to do this. I want to be a flight attendant. And I never left that That dream never left me at the age of six. So if, 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 if the flight attendant on board that aircraft is, is uh, listening today, she's, she's uh, your inspiration. So uh, yes. you can thank her so much. Do you remember her name? I don't. I don't. I wish I could reach out to her and thank her. But I could tell you if I get an artist, I could probably draw a picture in my mind what I have on paper, what she looked like. Because she was so sweet, so, so kind to us. And like I said, she knew I was really emotional leaving uh bermuda so she really um it's a what about two or two and a half hour flight but uh she really gave us all the comfort items and gave me a little trinkets just to make me feel you know a little bit better so she made a great impression i wish i could reach out to her that's amazing yeah it'd be great if if, if, uh, if she was listening and, and she did reach out so can i ask then so when you were growing up then did the schools you attended have any programs for you to get involved in aviation not at all. Another thing, I was even around any uh, major airports upstate New York. We had a little small airport, no military bases. So aviation, it just really sparked from that, that one flight. I have family, extended family members involved in aviation, but that was later on in the years uh, working for major airlines. But as far as a flight attendant in the family or pilots or anyone else in my family that loves flying, I think I had my very favorite auntie. She would take a trip everywhere all the time. And so her and I would travel a lot. So maybe that's where I got it from, the flying part. <laughs> wow. So when, when did you decide then? So what was, the, what was the path you decided to take to make your dream become a reality? Well, you know, after I graduated high school, I didn't really want to go to college right away. I still wanted to travel and I still held on to that dream about flying on an airplane. At that time, after high school, my school years, I applied for several major airlines, commercial airlines, and no luck to no avail. No, no one hired me. So I took it upon myself to just go into our recruiter's office, the Air Force recruiter's office. And I was thinking Air Force airplanes, it's got to be connected somewhere. <laughs> so I just went and no one in my family, no military background, no, nothing like that. I just took upon myself after high school one day to go talk to a recruiter. And we, we just, basically talked about what the military had to offer. We really didn't discuss airplanes at that time either, but it sounded so interesting. And I think one thing that really got me was the uniform. I went inside the Navy, the Navy office. I like the whites. And then I went inside the Air Force recruiter's office and that got me. <laughs> so can I ask then, I mean, you mentioned there that when you applied for some of the airlines, were you happy then that you didn't be, you weren't offered these jobs because your career went to a different path, which is is amazing. I mean, was it quite a 
you know, looking back, you think, well, maybe it's a good thing that I didn't get these jobs being offered. Absolutely. And another good thing, most of those airlines um, late was laying off and they went under. So they, that wasn't guaranteed. So that was a major blessing. When one door closes, another door opens. I'm a strong believer in that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. So did you, have, did you have any mentor as you were going through this process? Again, not in the aviation world. Um, I was, I'm a true believer in prayer. Between my family, my parents, and my faith to get me started, I think that's what got me started. I had met several mentors later in my Air Force career that I could ask and go to with their experience. But coming in, I, I want to say faith and family first. What about then, I mean, because sometimes when, when you mentioned there about with the uniform i mean we we see the finished article when we see the individuals in the uniform and we forget about the hard work before you get to that point so was there a lot of hard work and study involved so as far as to join the air force yes initially you have to pass quite a few tests they have a asap test a test that you have to qualify you have to pass a physical so as some things requirements for the military to to be uh to be accepted yes background and all that type of things no schooling until after you you're sworn in and then of course basic training and then you go to your technical schools after that whatever choices you your your job that you choose at that time um what, what's what's the medical like is the medical quite intense is it now the background yes you have to basic but it, it is an intense yes if you have several major things in your records i don't think the military might get a little might be different right now but when i came in i will say basically basic things that you had to pass and everything and up, you got to be up to date on uh different shots and what have you and just be able to you know do a physical part of the military training you got to be able to make it through all that kind of stuff so yes you have to be up to par a little bit. Because we, we, we do see it in movies where when they have these uh, physical training um, uh, courses in the military where they, they, they run through all these obstacles and they climb walls and climb over ropes or climb up ropes over walls. Is that what it's like, is it? Yeah, the Air Force is not as physical, uh, like maybe Army, uh, Marines, but do have a, a course that we have to complete as well to keep up with the physical, the running and the exercising and all that stuff. So yeah, there's a part of the Air Force that you physically, you have to pass certain uh, different obstacles to, you know, to get to the next level. So after you then enlisted in the United States Air Force, you attended, you attended and graduated from traffic management school at Shepherd Air Force Base. Uh, what, what, what is traffic management? Traffic management, that's, well, we call it short abbreviation for that was TMO. When you come in, you have to, uh, different areas you could choose for jobs. And mine was in that transportation area. So I was chosen to go into TMO, traffic management office. So that's the, where I started. That's the first job that I ever had in the Air Force. And it's basically just moving, I would say transporting, not moving, but transporting military and their families, household good items um, behind the desk sort of thing, paperwork, organizing, setting up their moves and giving them their entitlements and their requirements to PCS. PCS is, is means move from base to base. So that's what traffic management includes. Also, another part of it is so they call it the, doing their MTAs. That was Sort of like for a civilian, I could say, working at an airport, doing ticketing. 
getting their tickets ready for them to travel, getting their tickets ready, uh, their requirements for their baggage, how much they're limited, all that, all the all that stuff for mo transporting people was covered under traffic management. So, so a lot, there's a lot involved in. Yes, it's a lot in traffic. Yes, TMO is pretty uh, large uh, traffic management. Yes, it's a pretty wide variety of different things that we could do within that job. And that's what I got chose to do initially to come in. And then they send you to a technical school to train for that particular job once you get accepted. And I went to Shepherd Air Force Base in Texas for about eight weeks to learn the in and outs on transportation. And, and then when you finish your training uh, and you commence your duties, I mean, did you stay in the USA or did you travel abroad? The training was at, in Texas. I didn't have to travel with that particular job. That was in Texas for the whole eight weeks. When I left tech school at Shepherd Air Force Base in Texas, I went to RAF Mildenhall in the UK. Okay. Now that is where I was still doing the TMO, the transportation job. And from there, I was working at the, not in the office that handled the household goods part, but I was at the terminal. The terminal is where we can also process the flights coming in. That sparked my interest. The flights was coming in and I saw the different, not the all blue and white airplanes, but I saw several Air Force airplanes coming in and I inquired about it and they were military members, but flight attendants. Okay. So that's where I first saw that the Air Force had flight attendants in RAF Milton Hall in the UK. So how long were you there for? In um, I, Yes, when I left tech school, I was in England for two and a half years doing the same job, TMO, Traffic Management Office, over in England, and for two and a half years. And what was it like living there? Was it was there a bit of a was there a culture shock compared to living in the states back then? Well, you know what? Coming from Bermuda, we drove on the same <laughs> side of the street. <laughs> we drove on the same side of the street as the English. So, and I enjoyed the accent because it was several British Bermudas. We are British. I'm British by birth, so my nationality. So uh, it wasn't too hard to get familiar with being in England. It reminded me of home a little oh, bit. Okay. So, so that worked out. That worked out good. And did you get used to the food back then? Because sometimes in the industry, you know yourself, when you travel a lot and you go to different countries, the food choice can be a little bit, you know, different to what you're used to, your palate's used to. So how did you find that getting used to the, the local delicacies? <laughs> You know, I enjoyed the English tea. I like the tea and the, the afternoon tea. And I like the breakfast choices and the dumplings. I, in the, oh, like I can't forget about the fish and chips. Oh, the fish and <laughs> chips, yes. The good old fish and chips. Yeah, I, it, it was just, like I said, it was an extension of Bermuda to be in England. So I for first assignment, a young girl, I was glad it was English speaking and I was glad it was safe. It was part of my upbringing. <laughs> Let's move on then to... Uh, what was it like to be selected as an Air Force Two flight attendant? So can you explain the difference between an Air Force One flight attendant and an Air Force Two? Are there any difference? Yeah, that's a, it's a big difference, actually. I was going to say when I, le when I was leaving England, that's when I cross-trained. Cross-trained means I want to apply for a different job in the military. So I applied to be a flight attendant, which was at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland, from England. They sent me to Indiana for one year. It took a year for them to do the background check and for me to get accepted. Oh, wow. So okay. when I got accepted to Andrews, it was the later part of the year I had left England, the following year when I went to Indiana, just to keep the record straight. And then I got selected to go to the 99th airlift wing. The 99th was at Andrews and they flew Air Force Twos. 
we had the 99th and the first ALS. That's airlift squadron. So those two squadrons took care of the vice president and they took care of Senate, congressmen, anybody, I guess, other than the president that was that uh, flew on the Air Force missions uh, was either out, on the ninth, out of the 99th or the first ALS. And the Air Force two missions took care of the vice president. Anytime the vice president of the United States is on a plane, they call it Air Force two. Anytime the president of the United States is on an airplane, they call it Air Force One. Oh, wow. Okay, so we, uh, we've learned something here. The listeners and myself have learned something here, which is, which is really, really good. So what type of aircraft would Air Force Two uh, have? Would it be like so a, it's a, sm a smaller aircraft? Yes, it's a smaller aircraft. You have, we had, back when I flew Air Force Two, so it was a DC-9. They uh, retired that type of airplane now. But that was a small aircraft. I would say maybe about 40, 43, 45, maybe a little less passengers on there. Sometimes the vice president would take a little bigger one aircraft out of the first ALS. They had a little bigger planes for him to surface. Or he could jump on a little small um, Gulf Stream. They call it a C-20 aircraft, maybe 12 or 14 on board. That he, It depends on their travel itinerary, I guess, for that that day. So let's get to the to the to the really kind of throughout your life you've you've now you've worked so hard and then you're the first African American woman to be selected to serve aboard Air Force One. Like you know, what what an achievement this is. Can I just ask, how did you feel when when you were when you were selected? Well, you know, I had to of course start with the Air Force Two. I was selected about maybe eight. We had maybe sixty some odd flight attendants and about eight maybe got selected to be the lead flight attendant. You have to have a lead flight attendant. And they chose me to work with the vice president, which was Dan Quayle at the time. Wow. And so you kinda have to prove yourself. You know, you have to lead that uh run that whole they call it a mission, which is a flight. Run that whole flight from start to finish. That's take off to landing wherever we were going. Um, make sure everyone's on time. The meals are going out the right way. Their bags are loaded. You have to do the whole nine. If we're going overseas, the custom forms are done. So I proved myself on Air Force Two. Air Force One had an opening. They were in a total different hangar from us. Of course, I had to get another clearance, background check, and all that good stuff. But they had hired augmentees at the time. Augmentees were part-timers. Right. So I was end up being a part-timer. They'll bring me over and check me out and see how I could get along with the crew, see how I get along, um, my timing with the meals and, and everything that comes with that. So I got hired in 1990 as an augmentee, as a part-timer. So I was doing, staying there doing that until they had openings for full-time. So that's how that went. So, so how, how did you feel then? I mean, on a, was it like, was, did you feel amazing to, to reach this peak? I mean, was it excitement? To, to be able to work on board Air Force One? Oh, absolutely. It was an honor. I felt such a, such, I was honored and reward. It was such a reward to be able to just be a part because when I was coming through, most of the flight attendants assigned to Air Force One, they didn't leave. No one retired. So you had to wait your turn. Right. If you've got it, yeah, if you got your foot <laughs> in the door, you can just work your way in. You, that's good. And for them to even, select me to be an augmentee, a part-timer. I was, that was a blessing because like I said, they're very selective of back then. Sometimes they had to even take a vote who do they want to choose as an augmentee. It wasn't easy. And you have to do, of course, the background check again. So you have to have a squeaky 
clean record. <laughs> right. <laughs> so your social media profile had to be really good. <laughs> I don't even think I had one back then. And no. <laughs> <laughs> that probably was a good thing. And how, from, from, from my point of view, and I'm sure any, any listeners who are flight attendants, I mean, how, how do you feel when the pres president of the United States of America is boarding the aircraft? I mean, do you feel nervous? Do you feel excited? Do you, is it just part of the job because you're so highly trained? I mean, how, how do you feel? You know, I, I had to pinch myself, even probably when I started with the vice president. I said, am I really here? Am I really doing this? Did I just serve him some tea and coffee? <laughs> so I had to pinch myself a couple of times to see if this is really where I made it. Wow. So it was like a dream come true. Not, not just because I wanted to fly, be a flight attendant, but to be a flight attendant on such a prestigious air, airline, airplane, it was definitely an honor. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just fascinating. I mean, okay, so the, the listeners more than likely will want to listen about or find out a bit more about Air Force One. So I was thinking about a fun two-minute quick-fire question round. And if you don't want to answer any of them, you just go pass. Very, very simple. And so I get through them as quick as we can. So what type of aircraft is Air Force One? Air Force One is uh, Boeing 747. Cool. Um, we spoke about uh -huh. why Air Force One is called Air Force One, so we're good with that. So how many pastors can fly on Air Force One? You know, as flight attendants, um, I will tell you, and we do all the grocery shopping on board. A lot of people think <laughs> everything's catered. But sometimes we can have up to 100 meals, and um, it's 10 of us. and six in uh, total in the galleys, three in each galley. So we can feed. We're getting 100 meals. So between the crew, and the passengers, I would say maybe by 75 passengers and about 23 to 28 crew members, you get a few extra pilots on board. You can bring a few extra navigators on board just so they can rotate if we're going out of, out of the country. So we're getting feed up to, we'll just say 100 if we need 100 meals to go out. So is there a no frills budget set section on Air Force One? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, you know what, we build, we build a White House, so they take care of that. Okay. <laughs> if they give us a budget and we went over, I guess they won't have that meal. <laughs> so can you tell me or tell the listeners, what is the best food you have served on Air Force One? Are we talking you know, caviar? Are we talking lobster? What was the favorite food from the presidents? I mean, go on. You out. know, each, each of them had their special, we had a special list, what we would have for the presidents and his staff. But a lot of times we would sit down as flight attendants prior to a trip and we'll go over, we'll say the time that, that the length of time that that trip's going to be uh, and the time of day for either dinner or, or lunch or uh, breakfast, lunch or dinner meal. And we would sit down and we would send the meals to the White House representative and they would choose, we'll give them options. They would choose, we would shop for the meals after that and we would load the jet. So we would give, of course, the president several, several different options. If we're going to have a steak dinner and he wanted salmon, we'll right. give him a choice. If we're going to have pancakes and he just wants a, a lighter, lighter meal, a bagel and, or a boiled egg, we'll have that. We always had different options for the president, but we have a variety of meal choices. So we, it wasn't just one standard meal and everything is cooked from scratch. Nothing was catered. <laughs> wow. So you cook everything on the aircraft? Yes, everything is cooked from scratch. Everything's grocery shop with us, with our clearance. We handle all of the aspects of the food. So wow. it's nothing wow. tampered with or 
yeah, we have to be very careful about all that stuff. But the Air Force One flight attendants and Air Force Two flight attendants. So we do all the all the cooking. Yes. So who who's the most famous person you have met on Air Force One? If you don't answer, you don't have to. Uh, besides the president. <laughs> yep. Besides the president. <laughs> Air Force One, we have a lot of guests that is invited, and I had met movie stars, athletes, and some of the athletes that I got to meet was uh, Dale Earnhardt one of the famous auto racers, uh, Cal Ripton, retired baseball player. We also had WNBA, Cheryl Swoops. So I've had an opportunity to meet quite a few athletes as well on Air Force One. So, mm-hmm. so can you tell me who's your favorite pr- president? You don't have to answer you know, that question. I, I get that question all the time and I answer, my answer is all of them. All of them. That's, 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 <laughs> Very politically correct. Well done. <laughs> so what's the conference room like on Air Force One? Or can you tell us what it's like? Because we see we see these snippets in movies. When you see all these action movies, you see the conference room, you see the private rooms, you see maybe uh, the room where all the, the press and the journalists are uh, on, set on Air Force One. I mean, is it like the movies? Or can you say? You know, the I would say if you watch that Harrison Ford movie, the uh, Air Force One, and he had a meeting in that conference room. It looks just like that. They could sit, I would say, about 10 around. They have, we've had meetings in there. They do a lot of celebrations if they have a conference, uh, I would say a birthday celebration or going away. We've brought cakes on board and what have you. Most of the times we don't manifest or seat anyone in those seats. We would just seat everyone outside that conference room. But that conference room was set aside just for the purpose conferences and what have you for the president and his privacy of his cabin. I think you've answered this question already, but I'll ask it again. But uh, can a non-government civilian travel on Air Force One? I think you mentioned, you know, there was there was sports stars as well. But if the answer is yes, which we know it is, I mean, I'm awaiting my tickets. Is it possible that I can get some tickets on the next Air Force One uh, uh, trip? No, no, yes. <laughs> If you're invited, I can't stop you. If you're on that manifest, you're my guest. That's good. <laughs> that, that's that's all I want to hear. So you mentioned there the um uh I mean I think this question has been asked quite a lot, but I'll ask it again. And we see the movie Air Force One with Harrison Ford. I mean, probably the best scene ever when he he says towards the end of the movie, you know, get off my plane. Is there an escape pod on Air Force One? I'll just say that's all Hollywood. <laughs> it's all Hollywood. <laughs> That's the best. You're not going to tell me the truth anyway, so that's that's the best way to, to leave it. So, um, what? I, mean, I think we exceeded two minutes. I think we went to four or five minutes, but who cares? Because it's really really interesting. Um, so what hobbies do you have? Oh, besides traveling, <laughs> you know I like traveling five thousand flying hours, right? <laughs> you've a lot. You've a lot of flying hours. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna um write i want to write um more about my experience on air force one i do a lot of writing and i want to put it together um in the midst of putting that together and finding a nice publishing uh or someone that will be interested like you reached out to me for my story and i like to put it all on paper in the meantime to motivate and just encourage young people today to just follow their dreams whatever aspirations they have in life, that they can do it. Just to let them know that it happened for me. I had a dream since I was a, a little girl leaving Bermuda, wanted to be a flight attendant, and look where I ended up, on Air Force One. <laughs> so I like to encourage the youth. That's what I like to do, and just keep them focused on their future plans. So I speak at schools, and I do a lot of career days, 
here in the, in the U.S., different, not just in Georgia, but some people have me at different openings of ceremonies. I've been in parades. I've done birthday parties. I've done, <laughs> I've done uh, youth conferences at churches. Uh, one of the events that I was invited to was the Truman Library as a guest speaker. We had a panel, and that was in Independence, Missouri, and that was an awesome event. We had different guest speakers as well, and they interviewed me to speak on Air Force One as a representative. They ended up taking me to two different news stations, uh, live uh, television stations to do interviews. So that event, we were busy the whole time we were there. It was a very nice trip to be a part of that event. I was so honored to be a part of that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure to be uh, plenty of publishers uh, wanting to uh, get your book published. I mean, it's such an interesting uh, journey you've had and, and, and career you have. So any publishers out there, got on to Senior Master Wanda Joel as soon as possible. Um, so can I add, you mentioned there, um, go back a little bit with regards to your, your flying, your 5,000 hours. So what, what aircraft were those 5,000 hours in? And what was your favorite airplane? So for, forget Air Force One. So what other airplane do you like or helicopter? Well, I can't say nothing compares to Air Force One. I did the Air Force Twos, which were the smaller, smaller planes. Um, I also enjoyed the Gulf Streams. The Gulf Stream is more intimate. If I had to take maybe the First Lady on a separate trip, if I, and I did that, the superintendent of the First Lady operations, and I wanted to take maybe about six people to do an event somewhere. That was nice and intimate, small plane. It feels like a, your little kitchen at home. I enjoy flying on the Gulf Streams, so those small, they call them C-20 airplanes. So that was, they were nice as well as Air Force One's the best. Cause when you fly on that plane, you feel like you're just, it's like, they call it the traveling White House, but it's so smooth and spacious. And it was just a, a nice smooth ride. And what was the, um, what was it like being uh, uh, the superintendent for the, the first ladies? Um, I know we didn't discuss it before the podcast, but I'm, I'm interested in that as well. I mean, what, what was that like? That must've been so, uh, such an honor as well. I mean, are you with them? Are you with the first ladies all the time? Yes. Well, that's what they preferred. They would like, they wanted to have one of the air force one flight attendants with the first ladies because we knew what their likes was on likes their dietary restrictions, what have you. When they flew with the presidents and they flew on board, we had a list as well. So we we're familiar with them. So our commander wanted, chose me to be over that, oversee their missions. And I would take probably one or two other flight attendants with me. And then we'll just take care of her traveling. We'll stay with her the whole time. And then we'll come home if we jump on board Air Force One. But it was just two different missions. But the first lady, yes, if she's on board, it was her by herself with her staff. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just fascinating. I mean, and would would, the, would would family members travel as well? Would you be dealing with uh, First Lady Michelle Obama with her children as well, or with uh, First Lady Hillary Clinton? Would, would would the children be around, or family members, or just the First Ladies? Yeah, no, I have. I remember flying with Miss Laura Bush and Jenna and Barbara. Her girls would go in Africa, different countries with them, and also Mrs. Obama, if she wanted to bring the girls on board. I think, I want to say I flew, yes, uh, Mrs. Clinton, Chelsea. I flew many times with her, with her mom. And they all, the family, a whole family can go on Air Force One as well. But the first ladies would take their kids or just the staff, depending on where they were going. A lot of times they went to a lot of children's events 
and they're working on their books or they're talking a lot of the school issues. And so the girls, their children will probably be involved in their, their um, events. So they would bring them along. And you, you mentioned there as well, if we go back a little bit uh, with regards to uh, you're in the process of, of writing a book with, with your time uh, on Air Force One. I mean, what will that involve? You know, I'm thinking I'll probably do two. I'll probably do a memoir of my life and my journey, but I would like to do a children's book. And that would just start from my very first trip as a little girl, being inspired, coming through the ranks, joining the Air Force and applying for, before the, before the Air Force, applying for different commercial airlines and just my journey. I would like to maybe take a child through the steps of you know, the trials and tribulations that they have to go to. And, but the perseverance that I, that I held on to accomplish my dream. So that's what I think I lean towards a children's book and just to inspire and motivate. Yeah, I mean, what, what a great idea. I mean, I think you're a bestseller. I think you're a new, you're a new, JK, <laughs> new JK Rowling. That's it. You'll be, they'll, they'll be flying off the shelves. So, <laughs> so <laughs> any of your family followed in your footsteps? Um, no, as far as the aviation world, no. Um, even as the Air Force, no, I have a son, but he's pursuing his basketball career. But I haven't had anyone that enjoyed flying. I don't think anyone enjoyed flying as much as I did in my family. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, ever, did you ever get air sick? Did you ever feel air sick at all during your career? No, I think because I felt like I was probably on one of the safest aircraft in the world and one of the smoothest aircraft in the world. Very, very little turbulence. But I enjoy flying so much. I said if I could ever do one more thing in my life, and that would be going to the moon. <laughs> Why not? I think it's, it's, if I could get in a rocket, you know, I like flying. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. There's, there's no time like the present. So, <laughs> right, that, right. I believe Tom Cruise is going onto the space station in his next movie oh, wow um, the iss yeah maybe, maybe we, if, if tom if you're listening to this maybe uh <laughs> you can get senior master sergeant uh, on <laughs> onto your next trip so when you go to the iss station um you can continue your way to the uh, to, to the boot so have you any advice for aviation aerospace tourism hospitality professionals who want to follow their dream considering at the moment we're going through kind of a strange time and the industry itself is a little bit on, on, on the down, so to speak. I mean, have you, I mean, your story is inspirational. So what, 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 what inspirational advice can you give to the listeners who are feeling a little bit stuck at the moment? You know, I would say hospitality and your kindness takes you far. You know, you got to persevere. During this time, of course, you need patience. There's a lot of things on hold right now. Aviation world's probably not as busy right now, you know, but it's not, it don't last forever. So, you know, I'm sure it'll turn around and it'll be okay. But as far as just pay, someone will always remember, remember your kindness. That's what I always live by. You know, not to, you always have to have a legacy, but in the aviation world, we meet so many people. We go to so many countries, so many states in, in the United States, so many cities, you know, and I just try to leave an impression, just touch a life and just be friendly and be myself and be a good listener, talk kind whatever you may need. That's how I treated my passengers, how I wanted to be treated. And I felt like they were away from home, a lot of more on business trips and, and you don't know what they had to leave to get where they were. Just like I told, I said on the uh, National Geographic interview, 9-11 is a big trip, a trip that I'll never forget. But that day being on board with President Bush is you had to think of our, what our training was, Com safety first, 
comfort next. And we were there for them, just whatever they needed us to do, to step back and just let the president make his decisions on what we need to do. But to be on board that day, I think I put what I just said about hospitality, patience, endurance into action. But just being there and just being part of it that day, not, it's, it's the historical, yes, but just to be able to comfort and everyone stick together until we made it back home that day. That was the biggest thing that I think taught me that this is important, you know, you can make a difference in someone's life, whatever you do, wherever the situation may be. And that was the tragic situation, but yeah. Can I ask, what was it like that day? I know you've briefly touched, I mean, was it very tense and stressful that day, considering what happened on 9-11? I mean, you, you were obviously on, on board. What, how, how were you feeling yourself? Everyone was emotional, of course, but the unknown, don't know what's going on until you, like everyone else in the world, you get briefed what's happening. You have to just take a moment, step aside and just pray first. That's what I did. I'm on board with the President of the United States, so I had to be calm. Worried, yes. Afraid of what's, the unknown was we had sometimes, some passengers, I should say, that had loved ones at the Pentagon. I have a relative that worked at the World Trade Center. So you don't know, the unknown is you couldn't make a call to reach out to your family. We just had to kind of be hold each other up until we could land and get back home. But I just tell you, the prayer that I felt for everybody that was needed that day brought us through that day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to believe it, it was uh, 19 years ago. I mean, everybody says they remember yeah. where they were, you know, on that day. I remember... I was, and it sounds very silly, it's, it's totally different to what happened with, with you, but I was sitting in a hairdresser. I was sitting in a hairdresser getting my hair cut because I was actually traveling to Florida the following day to do some uh, hour building on flying in um, uh, a place called Ormond Beach, which is near Daytona. That was all canceled. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was not important, but it's amazing how you remember that day in particular, and, and how sad it was and, and, and the impact it had around the world. So I can't imagine how, how you were feeling, considering you were actually on, on Air Force One. I mean, do you have any funny story you can sh share with our listeners about your time on Air Force One? Anything whatsoever? You don't have to mention names. Um, just a, a funny, just a... Something that even with um, humor, even it doesn't have to be like awkward story, like maybe something with a bit of humor that you kind of you spilled a cup of coffee on the president, or <laughs> or uh, you know, a meal wasn't cooked properly, or something, something like that. <laughs> you know, not really spilled it on the president, but I know my one of my very first trips, we did have a little bit of turbulence in the back. Like I said, the Air Force One was really, really up above maybe the rocky. Uh, areas in the in the air pockets and all that so it was usually usually smooth but I was in the back working in an aisle and I did have my tray of coffee and it was on I, I was calling one of the richest men in the world Rockefeller right. <laughs> we hit a little air pocket Rockefeller and I hit, it hit a bump and my coffee spilt on his his pants and I panicked because I didn't want him to I didn't want to burn him right and he was the nicest nicest man he told me I got the rag we got the ice we got the he was the, he said he was okay, calm down, it's okay, <laughs> things happen. He made me feel really, really good, but I thought that was it. I thought that was the end of my That's, um, that's amazing. <laughs> something else that sticks in my mind that's kind of uh, humorous. We transport on Air Force One, any president that 
that passes, we would take his body to his home state. And I was on board with President Reagan's body and took the casket with the, the body and the family. We took him to California. And they have a guest compartment where we could put the, uh, lay him the, the casket in there. And no one was there. I walked back into the cat, the galley in the back and he had his escort, the general and what have you. And no one, when we went in the back, no one else was left in that compartment. And we have a little on our panel back there. If one of the pastors wants us, the bells go off. And right. I, we know exactly where they're sitting. So the guest compartment where the casket was laying, for us, uh, the bell went off and it lit up. No one was in there but the casket. So no one wanted to go up there to check. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, President Reagan wanted one more cup of coffee or something. But he, <laughs> so we kind of, we, it was kind of comical. It wasn't kind of funny then, but it was kind of funny for us to say the bell went off and President Reagan was already deceased. That's an amazing story. I mean, right. you, can, you can tell us this now. Do the president snore? And the first ladies. You know, once we put them to bed, if we're crossing the waters and going overseas, we close the door and give them their privacy. So I don't know. Another historic trip I'd like to mention that I was a part of, we had four president, U.S. presidents on board at the same time. President Clinton was in office and his guest was former President Bush, 41. We had President Gerald Ford, former President Gerald Ford, and former President Carter. We were heading to the king of... Jordan, King Hussein's funeral, and they were invited on board Air Force One. To have four presidents at the same time was a historic mission. President Bush 41, he gave me a, we have always had travel books, and he told me, can I take it up front to get President Clinton's autograph form? I was like, wow, you're the president, you're a former president of the United States, you want me to go? <laughs> but that was, a his, that was a historic trip that I will never forget to have all those presidents on board at the same time. I mean, it's, it's, it was awesome. that's amazing. I mean, it really is. Um, yeah, so, it, 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 so I'm, yeah, I'm sure I could think with flying for 24 years with four presidents, I'm sure I could come up with a ton more stories. End up going to my hometown in Bermuda for a summit. The president, when we usually go visit different states or countries, he has a big entourage um, at the airport. It's roped off. But when we went to Bermuda, my hometown, my supervisor never let me live this down. He said, I had more visitors at the, at the airport welcoming me home than the president. You <laughs> <laughs> like a superstar. <laughs> right, right, right. And then uh, President Clinton, coming back to Andrews Air Force Base from, a, from an event, he wanted to meet my parents. And my parents were lost on the base at Andrews in Washington, in, at Andrews Air Force Base to get to the terminal where we landed. He told my boss, the chief master sergeant, and the Marine One usually takes the presidents back to the White House. Everything was on hold. He said, I'm going to stand here on the tarmac and I'm going to wait for Wanda's parents. And my supervisor, again, he said, he said, who holds up the president of the United States to meet their parents? And no one but President Clinton. So that was, that was pretty awesome. Because my boss always had me cracking up and I would do things and he would say, only the president, only you. And the president only, but yeah, but that's yeah, but that's um, I if, think that's all the only top of my head that I could think of. If 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 uh, if President George of the Bush, 43rd U.S. president, is listening, and he wants to do a podcast because I know he loves aviation as well, because uh -huh. um, uh, he he um, he's, a, he's an actual pilot as well, isn't he, President? Uh, president. Yeah, 
I believe he had pilot training. Yeah. Yeah. If, he, if, he, if he's out there listening, come on. We'd love to chat with you. <laughs> We'd love to chat with you. It'd be great. No. Uh, you, you know, you had asked me about the difference between Air Force One and Air Force Two. Now, this is histor historic, and I was a part of. I was a part of a lot of history on there. A very historical trip that I remember uh, for Vice President to fly Air Force One is very unusual, but I was on board in 1998 when Vice President Gore, his first opportunity to use Air Force One. Uh, President Clinton was in office at the time and he suddenly canceled his trip to the Asia Pacific Economic Summit in Malaysia and he had to stay back to focus on Iraq crisis and since Vice President Al Gore. So that was a very interesting situation at the time. So I was glad to be a part of that historic trip as well. And that was kind of. <laughs> oh, wow. And that, that's totally, that's yeah, non-normal. That's fine. No, not at all. That's not at all. And that, that kind of stuff, you probably won't even read about it or hear. It. Well, you probably did at the time when it happened, I'm sure. But as far as someone remembering historical memorable moments like that i don't think you would just get it out the blue you know what i mean like just find that ha that that happened and um, what about then that you mentioned there with uh, uh, marine one is marine one the helicopters is it so marine one they transport the president from the white house to air force one which is at andrews air force base and they can take and hold up to 14 passengers at a time and once we land back to Andrews from our our trips the Marine One is there to take the transport the president again back home to the White House so that's what Marine One does and they have a, a nice helicopter there that can hold quite a few passengers to transport them as well <laughs> so what, what about uh, for some unknown reason I don't know why this has come into my head did you ever meet uh, or was Frank Sinatra because that song, Come Fly With Me, has just come into my head for some unknown reason. I don't know why. And because you've mentioned President Reagan, uh, uh, Carter, that I said, well, may maybe you might have. So did you meet, did you meet him? <laughs> no, you know, President uh, Bush 41, we call him Daddy Bush. His favorite group was the Oak Ridge Boys. Now, I remember them performing and singing on Air Force One to him, but not Frank Sinatra. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> just checking. And would, I mean, would, would, would the presidents, like, kind of, you know, would they play you know, loud music on Air Force One in their, in their, in their private quarters, or is it very kind of serious all the time? Would you be, would you yeah. be dancing around the cabin? Or <laughs> yeah, no, we could, they have a cabin where they could play music. And of course, every compartment has a television. So we have the latest movies and we have, so they get relaxation and they could put their private headsets on and listen to, we have channels that the, uh, we have uh, radio operators or communicators that fly that take care of all the communication part of airplane, but they could play any channel the president wants to listen to. They have a variety of uh, music for them to listen to and just to relax. And sometimes I know before I retired, we even had president, one of the presidents wanted his uh, stationary bike and they put that up for him to get exercise and what have you. So they, they kind of make it feel like home, you know, they have a long day ahead. So they have to relax and we give them their privacy. That's why we like to have their meals and extra that they like to have a choice. It, it, I'm actually, I'm on your, looking at your website here at the moment, uh, wonderjoel.com. Uh, I'm looking at the, some of the photographs you have on the, 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 the home page. I mean, you're with uh, President uh, Bush, uh, 41, uh, 
President Bush uh, 43, did I get that right? Or right, wrong? Am I right or wrong? President Bush 43? Yes, you're Yes, you're right. <laughs> uh, President Clinton, President Obama. And who, who was the tallest president of all? Because it's very hard to see in the photographs. I mean, they all look pretty you know, tall. I think President Obama and President Clinton look like they're close in height. They're probably about, they're probably close. Amazing. It's just fascinating. But before we go, so where else can our listeners get in touch with you? Are you on Instagram? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Facebook? Yes, I am on Facebook, Instagram, not yet. I haven't did any of that social media. So right now, just Instagram, this website here. So that's probably it for now. Well, what you can do is our listeners, if you need to get in touch uh, with Senior Master Sergeant Wanda Joel, uh, she's a wonderful website. It's uh, www.wandajoel.com. It has all the information and uh, contact information and any publisher out there ASAP because she's writing her book and she'll have a children's book coming out soon in the very near future. Senior Master Sergeant Wanda Joel, thank you so much for joining me today. And as you mentioned before, with regards to kindness, you were so kind uh, to take the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me today. And I really appreciate it. And I think now, uh, especially considering the, the circumstances in the world, especially in aviation, it's great to hear a positive um, inspirational story like, like yours. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.